Welcome, all of you wine and true crime lovers. I'm Brandy. And I'm Chris. And this is Texas Wine and True Crime. Thank you for being here, friends, for this week's episode, The Murder of James Mosqueda and Amy Kitchen, Part 1. Hey, Chris. Hello, Brandy. How are you? I'm doing ex- excellent. How are you? I'm doing just fine. We're a little stuffy. I'm stuffy, too. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Allergies are terrible here in, in Dallas. Man, suffering with it today. I know. All right, honey, if it's okay with you, I'd like to do things a little different um, for epi- for this episode for part one. What's that? Um, I think we could talk about the food, which was amazing, by the way, Thank and you. the delicious wine we're enjoying um, in part two, if that works for you. That'll work for me. Is that okay? If that's what you'd like to do, sure. Yeah, so I know you made a special St. Patrick's Day dish, which I'm excited for you to share with everyone. Um, and I can't wait to talk about the wine um, that we're having and um, for this week. So friends, you will hear all of that in part two, but don't worry, part two will be out tomorrow, babe. Tomorrow. Yeah. We usually make them wait a little longer. Make them sweat, but we're not going to do that this time. All right. So you don't have to wait too long. Um, We have a couple of new Patreon members to welcome, babe. Yes, I I noticed that. (laughs) Cindy Thomas. Thank you, Cindy, for joining. And Susan Dickens. Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you so much, ladies, for the sh- supporting the show. It means so much to us. Um, you can become a part of our Winos and Crimos on Patreon and, uh, you know, get a bonus episode and get all your recipes. Can't put a dollar amount on that. <laughs> right. All right, babe. Are you ready to get into this week's case? Yes, let's jump in. Okay, friends. It's time to sip some wine and talk some crime. All right, Chris. This is a very... Uh, this case is very close to home for us, and I mean that in the literal sense. This yeah. happened in the Dallas area. Yes, just just up the road. Just up the road, an area we are very familiar with. Um, an area that doesn't see too much crime. No, it's a it's um kind of a, a suburby. Yeah, a lot of gated communities there. Um, yeah, a little more affluent, I'd say. Yeah, uh, but back in November fourth of two thousand, it was the location of a double homicide. The victims were 27-year-old James Mosqueda and 22-year-old Amy Kitchen. Young young folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, James and Amy were found at 18663 Gibbons Drive on November 4th, 2000. They were found in the master bedroom of the home that they shared. Uh, Chris, the address in the purchase of the home is listed uh, only under James's name. So he owned the property. Okay. Amy was his fiance, uh, a few years younger. I said 22. And she is currently, and she was currently in nursing school at the time. Okay. Um, he owned a very successful mortgage business, was doing very well at his age. He drove a Corvette. Um, he also invested a lot of his money and resources in Amy. He, she was going to school. He helped get her a Mercedes. Um, a little extra things that you know people her age might like you know, beautify herself a little bit. Okay. Um, some some injections en- of sorts or? Enhancements, enhancements you know. Okay. Uh, he, That's an investment. Yeah, and you know, he loved her. I mean, um, they were engaged to be married and um, they were living together, which is a big step. So, um, you know, he they, they had a very good relationship from um, from people that knew them and he drove a Corvette Right? Did I say that? I don't you know did. if he said. Did I say that? Yeah. Okay. Um, but he also had a really nice Rolex, which okay. is not cheap to buy. Um, he so, liked to throw a little money around. Yeah, he did. And no. you know, he's twenty-seven years old, right? And doing pretty well for himself. So, um, I think that um, 
you know, that was his way to, and by the way, he did work with other family members at the mortgage, at his mortgage company, um, including his aunt, who he had recently um, done a deal with right before, right before his murder. But Chris, after researching this case, reading the transcripts, which took a lot of time, it took me two weeks to read transcripts on this case, um, because it's considered closed, so we can see everything that's out there. Uh it kind of came out that he was also a, a longtime successful drug dealer. Okay. Um, started in high school, came from family who sort of dabbled in that, um, is what some of the witnesses would say. So he kind of kept maybe that as a little bit of a side business. Mm-hmm. Um, now, again, I'm speaking from transcripts and things I read of witness testimony, not my own opinion. Yeah. Um, so this is what ha- what came out after after his death. Uh, both James and Amy had been shot to death. James was shot twice. So I want to talk about a little bit about these gunshot wounds. Uh, the first wound is was located just above the right ear. Um, his autopsy stated that there was scattered stipple over the entire face. Um. Now, this is caused by holding the gun, and correct me if I'm wrong, from a further distance than it would be if the gun was pressed against his face. I think, I think it's stipple. Oh, what'd I say? Stipple. I'm sorry. I'm good at that. I'm good at the mispronunciation. <laughs> I can spell really well. I just can't say them very well. Um, okay, so is that right? It's further away? Yeah, I guess like all the powder coming yeah. as well, too, behind the bullet. Yeah, so, and then the second shot was found on the left side of the neck. Um now, intense um, stipple, stipple, <laughs> surrounding that gunshot wound. Um, and it, now this is caused by holding the gun very close when firing the weapon. Now, Chris, the report also stated that James could have been sitting up when he was killed. And I th- think this would make sense um, if he heard something and he sort of sat up in bed because mm-hmm. he was found on the bed. So um, police believe that Amy and James were most likely ambushed while they were asleep. Yeah, somebody snuck in. Now, I don't know if I'm tired after kind of reading. Now, this is what the police believe because of the way they were dressed. They were both found in the bedroom, right? It's it's late at night um, when they believe that these murders took place. So um, th- there was really no crime scene in any other part of the house. The main crime scene and where all the blood splatter um, blood, blood spatter on the walls and the bullet that was found on the ground. All of it was in the master bedroom. Um, so I don't, I'm not convinced that they were asleep, but I am convinced that he probably sat up either because he was talking to someone or he heard something, but he never actually made it out of the bed. Now, Amy was shot four times. Uh, Let me say, before we move on to Amy, missing of James's and what they found missing from the house was his Rolex Rolex watch, his wallet, and his prized Corvette. So those were the three main things um, that they know were gone. So were they going for those items specifically? Family, um, I'm going to talk about this in just a bit, but family and friends were already gathering around the house when, when they were found. So they were asking basically family members, do you see anything missing or notice anything missing? Once they actually finished the crime scene, they let Amy's parents go in. They let James's, James's, a few of James's family go in. So 
that's when they found out that these certain things were missing. Uh, Amy had a several things missing, but first I want to talk about her gunshot wounds. She shot a total of four times. Now, the ones I'm going to talk about are not in any particular order, but based on the entry wounds, we can probably identify which shot actually ended her life and the others that were just, um, that, you know, she was shot and then just kept being shot. So one of the shots entered her left arm, um, there wasn't any observable gunshot residue. Though there was red and blue contusion over the left elbow area. The wound track passes through the tissue and then out the left upper arm. Um, n- not much hemorrhaging. Now, I don't know, Chris. I'm kind of thinking this might be a defensive wound. Putting her hand up, possibly, in front of herself. I don't know. But I don't think this is what killed her. So this shot was probably the first or the second. I'm going to guess maybe the first, Um, but but I don't think this is the one that killed her. Gunshot number two had an entry of the left scapular area. Uh, No gunshot residue are identified within the wound. There is a corresponding defect overlying the T-shirt through the left scapula along the left chest wall, grazing the top of the left fourth rib, and then enters the upper lung lobe. And then out the lower lung lobe. And I do believe that this is the shot that collapsed her lung. She she did have a collapsed lung. Any thoughts on that gunshot? Do you think maybe that is the one that could have possibly? I mean, in looking at all these other ones, there's also, um, you know, she does get shot in the head. She does. That's what I mean. Who knows which one was the actual one to finally, I mean, that one definitely would keep her from breathing. But I mean. You ever know, getting shot so many times and just bleeding from all those, too. But you definitely need to be breathing to keep going. Right. So I don't know if 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 she's maybe choking at that point with the lung injury. Now, the third one has an entry on the top of the head. Now, there is no associated gunshot residue, little hemorrhaging. Um, There was a, a small caliber located in that area, small fracture at the case of the right side of the occipital bone. Am I saying that right? Yeah. I want to make sure I get this right. This is the actual autopsy report. <laughs> so it's important that I, that I get this right. I know it's, um, um, but the impact was the inner skull. <laughs> I know you're laughing at me because it's, <laughs> I'm your wife and that's what you do. Um, so, but here's the deal, Chris, this is at the entry of the top of the head. Yes. She's found on the floor on the side of the bed. So to me, that means these other, and I'm going to talk about that four shot, but to me, Chris, she's this probably is probably turning his course as she's getting shot maybe too. And yeah. That's why there's, I think this is the, I think that's the last shot. Yeah. I mean, the person's probably standing up above her. Uh, the last shot is located in the center of the back. Yeah. This, this one where it hits like the main stem and everything, it makes me really think that this could have been, yeah, it could have been, um, it, it traveled in so many different – with inside the body. It hit so many different kinds of organs and then like – I mean, you can talk about this. There's a lot of detail in this gunshot. Well, it's crazy in. too how many of the slugs they retrieve um, from – All four in her. I know. So it wasn't like a really high caliber gun that was, that was shooting her, you know. Uh, no. And we'll uh, we'll talk about the gun in, in part two yeah. um, because that is – how the murder weapon is found and where it's found is very interesting. Uh, so we've got, so Amy's got four gunshot wounds. So James has two, 
lying in the bed. Amy has four lying on the floor. She's she's found face down Chris, and she has a towel and a pillow laid on her back. Um, James is found face up, like I mentioned, on top of the bed. Missing of Amy's was her large diamond engagement ring given to her by James. Um, there were some other just small items that um, were gone. A key, they were looking for um, a, a set of keys that they said Amy had. But that was the most significant thing was that big diamond ring that was on her finger that was no longer on her finger. Yeah. So they're looking at this as a robbery possibly gone wrong. Or, you know, at the time, I mean, you have to remember, they didn't know about any of the other extracurricular activities James could have been involved in or who he was associated with, who Amy was associated with. So there wasn't much information to go on um, at that time. Uh, They did retrieve one bullet from James's body. Um, I mentioned four from Amy's. And then the other bullet, Chris, was found um, on the floor, like in the bedroom. Like even drug related, even if he owed somebody some money. Mm -hmm. um you know, to kill him too. I mean, once they get all these items, I mean, that's kind of evens your bet. So he must've really done something. Who knows? Um, yes, because they weren't sure. Or like I said, at the time they didn't know these things. So now that we know them, because we see trial transcripts, right? There is someone that is set to die next month for this crime who has always, who has said he has, he's innocent and that he was framed. Um, but this is a, you know, you have two young people um, and seems like, I mean, they were just out to, to dinner the night before with her father. Um, I will talk about some of his testimony um, in part two. But, you know, she had plans to meet her mother the next day. And she told her mom, call me in the morning, wake me up so I can study before we meet. Well, I guess, I mean, like my point is if somebody wanted these items, wanted money from them. Mm-hmm. They, if they came in the house, they could have tied them up, blindfolded them, whatever, robbed them and left. Like sure. the fact that they killed them too. I mean, that's what's kind of the crazy thing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and the main difference to me, Chris, in these two murders is the randomness of Amy's injuries versus the injuries inflicted on James. I feel like his were deliberate and um, fast I don't, he didn't. He wasn't out of the bed. I mean, unless he would have fallen back onto the bed, but he wasn't shot in the back. He was, sh- and he was facing up. Now he could have been standing, and then from the power of the gunshot, fallen back onto the bed. So we actually don't know if he was standing, but we just know he was found lying on the bed. Yeah. Um. Amy's, but when now Amy's body is on the floor, right? And she's got a wound to the arm, one to the back, scapular area, and then one to the top of the head. So to me, I'm, I, you know, all the other ones make sense. I'm trying to figure out the one to the back. Was she running? See, that's the thing. It's like you're in a bedroom. You have to assume the person with the gun is near the door. They're not letting people out, right? You're, you're going to block the door. So I don't know if yeah, she mean, like surprised them when they were they arrived home too. I kind of think maybe she was ch- bending over at James. Like I almost wonder if she. I think she saw that unfold, and I think Amy was second. Yeah, holding him at gunpoint or something in the bedroom. Because mm-hmm. we actually don't if know how long 
any this person was in there person persons um yeah. you know there is one conviction right one person got convicted of this crime um powerful testimony which we'll talk about in part two uh honey it's already time for a wine recess Chris, for the wine recess today, I want to share Texas Wine Lover with our listeners. This is the first of many collaborative efforts between us, along with Amy and Jeff, the two people behind the brand of Texas Wine Lover. Texas Wine Lover provides the most up-to-date listings of wineries, including a winery map with their locations. The tool allows you to plan and educate yourself about all things Texas wine and beyond. Using the Plan Your Trip map, your plan trip is then fed to the Texas Wine Lover mobile app that you can take on the road. That's right, friends, an app where you can plan and visit your favorite wineries, or if you're like us, Chris, choose a part of Texas you've never been to and be adventurous. Since you are traveling to wineries, you will need a place to eat, sleep, and shop, and more. The Texas Wine Lover Guide and Texas Wine Lover app has those listings, too. The Texas Wine Lover blog has been named one of the top wine blogs in the world. You can find them on your favorite social media platforms. Chris, uh, my favorite is their private Facebook group listeners can join. I'm a part of that group. And what I love about it the most is people post all different Texas wines they are drinking and share it with others. Just go to TXWineLover.com. That's TXWineLover.com. So you can start planning your next winery visit. Amy's mother became alarmed when she couldn't get a hold of her daughter the morning of November 4th. Amy had seen her father the night before and told her dad that she had made plans with her mom to have lunch the next day. Now, Chris, when Amy's mom couldn't reach her, she drove to the home um, that her daughter shared with James. She arrives at the house with a friend of hers and her little toddler granddaughter. So she's, the mother has a friend with her, and then she's watching her granddaughter. Um, Amy is supposed to meet them, but she's not picking up the phone. Um, so she gets very concerned when she gets there, notices James's Corvette is not there. She starts knocking on the door. Doors are locked. Windows are locked. Everything's locked up, but no one's coming to the door. Um, Amy's Mercedes is found in the garage once once police um, get on the scene. But she um, was very – she felt in her gut something She was called wrong. the police? She actually did not call the police. Um, she decided to drive to the closest fire department. And I was thinking of this area, Chris, and I think the fire department she drove to is the one on the, on the corner by Papados and Chick-fil-A. Because this is exactly that area. That one on the corner. I think that's actually Gibbons Road. Okay. I'm going to go and drive there this week because I want to know. I, I I know that street. I see it all the time when I drive in that area. But I believe that's probably the poli- the fire station she went to. Now, here is something I learned um, as I'm reading these court transcripts and these police officers and these fire department and these firemen are testifying in this case. When Amy's mother couldn't contact her, she goes to the fire department and asks for a welfare check. Now, they asked her if she believed that the person or persons inside of the house could be in need of assistance, of medical help, right? And she says yes. Now, I feel like we always hear, you know, call 911. You know, call 911, tell them there's an emergency, or go to the police station and ask for a welfare check. But here's the thing. I did did not know this. But because firemen are basically like medical help first and foremost – 
they're not law enforcement. They, 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 they're, they're there for medical attention. They're paramedics, most of them. If you feel like there is someone that is not answering the door and you feel like they need some help, they will actually go in. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but what if they make a mistake and break into somebody's home? Mistake how, though? Like they, they felt very in, confident if, if, that Amy's mother was under duress. No, no, no. I'm saying this was a great thing in this instance. That I means yeah. just like to go to a fire station. To mm-hmm. I didn't know they would. Because yeah. I think the liability of breaking into a home without, you know, actually something being wrong. Mm. We're going to talk about that in the court case because some lawyers wanted this whole thing dismissed because of the action of the firemen. But the firemen testified, this is our job. It is our duty if someone is under duress, because I read the transcript of, of their testimony. If someone is under duress and they feel like the person inside or persons inside need help in 911 help, right, assistance, medical help, then they have an obligation to go in and do a welfare check. So they broke a window to get into this house. And that's when they found the bodies. Um, but anyways, tip there, just in case. Interesting. Yeah, did not know that. Um, so Amy's mother shares her concerns. The fire department responded. Um, like I mentioned, they end up breaking that window. There was no indication of a struggle or forced entry um, besides, obviously, the firemen breaking the window. But that's um, that's when they find um, the bodies in the bedroom. Family of both of families of both James and Amy are being called. There's people talking now. Um, a lot of people start showing up at the crime scene. They're standing in front of the house, wanting to know what happened to their loved ones. Police are trying to keep the crime scene, you know, isolated so they can determine what happened and not have people disturbing disturbing any of the potential evidence. Um, they were waiting for police to arrive, right? So their firemen have now found the body. They call 911 and call their police station and they arrive on the scene. But Chris, there is one family member that is not present. And that is James's cousin, Ivan Cantu. Um, And also not present is Ivan's girlfriend, Amy Betcher. Now, Ivan and James had always been close growing up. Ivan worked for James at the mortgage company But um, recently, right before the murder, there had been arguments and fallouts between the two men. James and Ivan were no longer working together when James was murdered, but they were family. And Ivan admittedly said, I was a very heavy drug user at the time of my cousin's murder. Chris, Ivan Cantu's mother, who is also James's aunt, told police and firefighters on the scene that she couldn't get a hold of her son. Her son and James, since they were family and they were growing up, I'm guessing, Chris, in her mind, she may know some of the past stuff, right? She may know some of the things that her son and James have dabbled into. And she could possibly be wondering who would do this to them. And could they, I can't get a hold of my son, and could they have have gone to my son's apartment and done the same thing to him? So she's concerned the same thing, and I'm going to get into this in part two. She tells the fireman, I'm concerned about my son. He, he's close to James. He's not answering the phone. I'm, I'm a little concerned. Can we go to his apartment and get in? And they do. And I'll talk about what they find in part two. Over the next few days, people will identify a suspect in the murder of James and Amy. James and, Amy, and honey, that suspect is Ivan Cantu. 
Now, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that Ivan was convicted of the double murder and set to die by lethal injection next month. He has always maintained his innocence, Chris, in this crime and said he was set up while he was in Arkansas with his girlfriend, Amy, while meeting her parents for the first time. But the most powerful of all the testimony and evidence was that of Amy Betcher. Um, and just a little FYI, she, she is now deceased, um, but she, she did testify against Ivan. as She will tell authorities about their drug, drug-infused weekend, the parties, there'll be witnesses that saw her and Ivan. She says she saw both bodies of James and Amy. Um, she also said Ivan gave her Amy's missing engagement ring and proposed to her that weekend. And James's Corvette is actually located in Ivan's apartment complex. Sounds like there's lots of evidence. A ton. To this guy. I'm not even, I haven't even touched it. Yeah. In part two, we will discuss the trial, key witnesses, and why Ivan was given the death penalty in this case. And honey, that's it. That concludes part one of the murders of James Mosqueda and Amy Kitchen. If you want to see pictures related to this case, you can find them on our Instagram and Facebook pages. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple. But honey, we'll be back with part two tomorrow night. And we're going to be talking about um, the court and the trial and um, such a, so many, so many people came on the stand and, um, but, but the, the most damning of them all was his, fiance's testimony about what happened that weekend um so yeah so we'll we'll talk more about that tomorrow we shall until next time friends stay safe have fun and cheers next time cheers everybody